What happens when the world gets turned on its head? We're forced to look inward, perhaps become fearful, sometimes lash out at others. While there are others in the world who don't give up hope because they believe in people. Join me, Kevin Tibbles and Amy Goldberg, for our new podcast, Believe in People, where we meet those who don't give up hope. Chances are we all know someone who is battling addiction. Some of it is out in the open, some of it hidden. But in today's highly stressed, highly competitive world, many of us struggle with substance abuse. Jacqueline Hollows went down that deep, dark path and somehow found the strength and the road to recovery. She's now dedicated herself to helping others save themselves. She has founded an organization entitled Beyond Recovery in her native United Kingdom, assisting those whose mental health issues and addictions have gotten them in trouble with the law. Jacqueline, welcome to Believe in People. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, we're so happy you joined us. And uh, I want to get to um, your journey. You've had quite the journey so far in your life. You were in IT, customer service operations, to eventually become founder of Beyond Recovery. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, most of my life and my experience and my qualifications and all of that was in the IT sector, as you say. And in 2010, 2009, 2010, I had a number of things all happen at the same time. So uh, my father died, a long lost father, hadn't been in touch with for years. My uh, business, the business I was working in went bankrupt and uh, the housing market crashed. Um, so loads and loads of stuff happened. And it just caused me to reflect on my life and where I was and what I was doing. And what I felt was that I didn't like IT. <laughs> so that was the first <laughs> thing. And the second thing was that I wasn't really doing anything meaningful to contribute to society, to life. And I, I wanted to be able to do that. So I, I retrained, I retrained as a life coach. I did counseling, NLP, EFT, anything with a three-letter acronym, I was on it. And I, um, I discovered um, a way of helping people which was insight-based. And I became very fascinated with that. I followed that. And that ended up with me working in the community with people with addictions and mental health issues. And uh, eventually that led me to prison. And uh, because, of, because of what happened in prison, I ended up setting up a social enterprise. And, and that's, that's what I've been doing for the last seven years. What do you mean uh, when you say that it comes from inside? How does, how does that work? If when you're when you're counseling people are you suggesting that they have to find the strength within or are there certain qualities that we have within us that we should perhaps tap more often great question i love the way you phrase that as well so it's absolutely not a um you know when you say we have to have to find the strength 
that sounds more like a, a bit of a, a blame thing and what we go through, we, we've got to blame ourselves for. It is more like what you pointed to second there, which is that we are born with um, infinite resources, resilience, well-being, a way of trusting our own inner guide. And we get lost and we stop following that. We've got a society and a system set up that doesn't really point towards inside. It points towards if you get this car, you'll have this man or woman or partner. And if you wear this perfume, you know, like great things will happen to you. Nothing in our society points to the fact that we have an inner guide, if you like, that is never broken. And that's what I mean is when we have conversations with people that helps them find that inner guide and start to trust it again and start to follow it. And when we do that, our lives get a little bit more simple, not always easy, but a little bit more simple. And um, we start to uncover feelings of abundance, compassion, love, um, uh, kindness towards our, our fellow human beings. And they're naturally occurring feelings that sometimes, in, in the worst cases, have been covered up by a lot of mental noise. And, and Jacqueline, so I just wanted to mention, you alluded to prison <laughs> and that you weren't in prison. You work with people that are in the prison system. And one thing that I found, and it kind of goes with what Kevin mentioned, is looking from the inside. You run a program that uh, I understand that prisoners took because it was like a perk. If they took your program, not even knowing what it was about, they could then get special privileges or something. I'm not sure. Maybe you can clarify. but they found something very different. So can you kind of put the pieces together for Beyond Recovery and what they discovered? Yeah. So um, usually people came to our program because we had coffee and biscuits. Um, and, and there were rumors that somehow they would get extra privileges or go to more open conditions and so on. All sorts of rumors went around. But the truth was, uh, it, was a, it was a program that was available to anybody in the end. And they came along because they wanted to get out of their cells or, um, or they thought, oh, yeah, recovery, we'll get some of that or, you know, all sorts of random reasons and sometimes just purely for the, the refreshments. Um, what happened in the room was that people started to uncover the truth the true selves that was hiding underneath their behavior and their, their stinky thinking. They started to uncover things inside of them that pointed to opportunities. And an example of that is uh, a, a man who was a bus driver in London came to one of our groups and, and it was a 10-week program and he'd turn up every week and he had this really angry, frustrated face and he was a big guy. And so he looked quite scary. And what happened was about week six, he said, you're talking about sixth sense. I said, well, if that makes sense to you, then, then let's, let's go in that direction. And we started talking about what he meant by sixth sense, like he knows when um, actually the way he put it is, you know, when I uh, 
think I better not sell to that guy. He's, he's a copper. Um, actually, that's a, a sixth sense. And when I do sell to him and he does turn out to be a copper and I get arrested, sell drugs, I mean. And so we, we started talking about this. And then he suddenly said, do I walk around with an angry face? And, and all the other men in the room laughed, you know, and he was very scary and looked very angry all the time. And we all said, yeah, a little bit. And he said, oh, that's why people are responding to me the way they are. He thought that everyone hated him. So he had to walk around with an angry sort of face. But actually, when he realized, oh, it's the angry face and it's the fact that I'm walking around looking like this, the people are responding to me in the way that they do, has shifted his whole perspective. Does that, I mean, what you're, you're suggesting there, and, and if we could follow up on this, a lot of people do end up in prison for various reasons. You know, some people, at least um, on this side of the Atlantic, people refer to, to uh, people in prison often as hardened criminals or people that, you know, a hardened criminal, I guess there are a lot of hardened people. Uh, you know, you can be a hardened person before you become a hardened criminal. But these sorts of ideas or these sorts of um, the way that you look at yourself or perceive yourself, I'm assuming that can start very young as a child and that, and that these sort of defensive mechanisms where you wall yourself off from the rest of the world can begin at a very young age. And if you don't follow that sixth sense or uh, find a, a way out to help yourself from inside, then you might find yourself behind bars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I always felt was there go I but for the grace of God. You know, we, we remove ourselves. One of the things that I talk about um, in, in my writing is that we, I didn't know what people in prison were like before I worked in prison. I didn't even think about it. I just thought, Bad people go to prison, right? That's what prison's for. And I'm glad they're in prison because they're not doing bad things to me. And I didn't really give it much more thought because that's the narrative in, in our society. But actually what I found out is that bad people who do bad things are not bad people. They actually, many, many people, something like 80% of people have adverse childhood uh, conditions, have trauma in their childhood, have other uh, parents and uncles and so on who offend, have addiction issues in their in their childhood. Um, they they go to prison because they or sorry, they follow a path because actually that seems like the only path that's available to them. Many of them, I think it's in the UK, it's under sixty percent have um, barely any educational background. So they, they can't read and write properly. And so they, they've been the naughty children at school and then they've been kicked out. Um, and so they follow a path that looks appealing or that they've seen and they've got this conditioned behavior. Is it also a matter of survival? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in the hood, you know, they've got other people doing stuff. You get roped in, you end up doing stuff. Um, sometimes you have to do that to keep yourself out of trouble. Sometimes you want to do that because 
they look like the cool guys with, you know, all the jewelry and the women and the cars and stuff. So how else are you going to get that by just going and working in? I won't, I won't mention the supermarket, but going and working in a standard supermarket. Um, Tesco's. That's exactly what I was going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Jacqueline. So, so it's very interesting you say this because one person I was really impressed with is Derek Mason. He works with you from Beyond Recovery. And he talked about the fact, uh, you know, he was a uh, lifelong criminal and it was really his mindset. He conditioned himself to sit, to talk himself into this sort of thinking that he was competent when he felt he was, uh, 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 it was kind of a class or a hierarchical uh, feeling that if he felt confident, he could then speak confidently. But when he was intimidated in his mind, he just shut down. And so, and then that kind of segues into your life. I mean, you, you had really a young or childhood trauma. How do you then navigate that yourself and Derek? Like, how do you then perceive to get beyond that? Um, so I talk about myself. So for myself, it was more that I came to a realization that when I was 39 years old, I had a hysterectomy and I had a conversation with my father who um, decided he couldn't come to see me because his, his wife at the time wouldn't allow him to. And I, I put the phone down and I suddenly realized, and I've been in abusive relationships all, all my life, um, went from physical abuse to, to mental abuse, which seemed to be better uh, because I wasn't being physically harmed. And I'm 39 years old and I put down the phone and I thought, why have I allowed my relationship with my father affect the whole of my life? And this guy can't even be bothered to come to hospital to see me. And I, I just, I didn't know at the time, but that was an insight. That was me realizing something different, having some fresh thought from the inside about my life. And literally in that moment, everything changed for me because I had changed from the inside. So I suddenly started realizing not even attracting people who were violent or who were abusive, attracting people who were kind to me and who were nice to me. And down the line, I realized this because I started to like myself a little bit more. So I'd spent 39 years thinking I wasn't worth being treated nice. I had this realization, wow, this person who happens to be my father has adversely affected my whole life and I've allowed that to happen. I didn't understand the mechanism and I didn't understand anything about that, but it it significantly changed my outlook and therefore my behavior and how I was with myself. And, And really it goes on from there. As soon as you have a significant change inside that changes your lens of how you see yourself, you change the way you are and the world changes around you. So um, I want to ask you about your, your, three, your three letters or your three letter process or word process. But I guess what uh, in that, I'd also like you to talk about how you just described how you empowered yourself. It's, a, it's, a, it's empowerment and you have to yeah. 
you have to realize that you have that power within you. But uh, what are your three steps to do that? My three steps. Uh, what do you mean by my three steps? <laughs> well, I th- there's a, is, is there not some anachronism? Oh, okay. Or, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yes. So, uh, I did, I, I came across something called the three principles. And the three principles are a, a mechanism, a vehicle, or a metaphor for understanding how life works. So the, the three principles are mind, consciousness, and thought. And really, they say that we, as human beings, experience the power of thought. That's how we experience life, through the power of thought. So if it's raining and I feel like, oh, my God, it's raining again and I'm going to get my hair wet and I've got an interview later, I have a bad experience of the rain. But the rain is neutral. The rain's just the rain. The power of thought allows me to have a whole gamut of uh, experiences about the same reality. The power of consciousness enables me to recognize that there is a expanding and contracting awareness. It's responsible for mood and for for um, the flavor I'm giving my life. So in a lower or more contracted state of consciousness, my life looks terrible and hard and difficult. And in a more expanded uh, feeling of contracted uh, consciousness or awareness, my life looks wonderful or pleasant or, you know, exciting. And, and then mind is the, the intelligence behind all life. So acorns grow into oak trees and grass is green and flowers turn towards the sun. And, and there's an intelligence in life that exists within human beings that we're sort of unaware of because we don't really talk about it. Um, but that guides us and helps us thrive because it wants us to thrive. So Jacqueline, then, how then do you translate that, that thinking into uh, one that's in a conf- confinement? So the prison life. So walk us through sort of what that process looks like. How do you go beyond recovery with um, inmates? Yeah. So initially, we, we don't talk about that. Um, initially, we talk- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> initially uh, I'll just be... Uh, true and 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 real with the people so the first thing that they experience is that this is not a professional uh doing a chalk and talk on the board and telling us how we should live our lives so you know i'll say things to them like you can go to sleep in the class you don't have to make any notes you don't have to remember anything there's no tests at the end so immediately there's a breakdown of the barriers between the us and them also, I totally 100% believe that they have the wisdom for themselves. I, I'm not giving them anything. That all I'm there for is to help them see that they have their own wisdom. And so there's a, there's a, again, there's a change in the dynamic between the professional coming in and saying, you know, you can change or you can lead your life in this way compared to me saying, well, you know how best to lead your life. I just want to help you see that there may be other opportunities. So we break down the barriers, we listen, uh, we're, we're with them, you know, we, we actually like them. Some of my best days in my whole life have been in prison. 
Um, and we, we see past their behaviors. And oftentimes, that particular group of people have never experienced that with any other uh, adult, you know. So um, that starts the process. And then they get curious. They get curious. Why do you feel like that? What's this about? What do you mean by the power of thought? And we have conversations, but we make it really live and real. So we have a curriculum. But if a man walks into the room and, and here we call the serveries where everybody gets fed and it's horrendous, loads of fights happen and, you know, it all kicks off around the servery. If a man walks in the room and says such and such a thing happened at the servery and, and they, you know, they're all angry and frustrated, we use whatever comes into the room to talk about it, we, what we say is we back it into the principles. So we talk about that from a, a place of, well, let's have a look at what happened there. Um, so for an, an example, a story is that one day a man in our group s- said he felt very ashamed and he had his head in his hands. And what had happened is another man kept robbing. So he kept going into his cell and robbing stuff from him. And this other man had um, some mental health issues. So my man in class was being kind and didn't want to, you know, address this issue. And then on this particular day, he robbed something that belonged to another inmate. So my man gets banged up, gets locked up, put behind his door, and um, he's behind his door at 6 p.m. and he gets out at 8 a.m. the next day. And for the for the next 14 hours, he just thinks about what he's going to do to this guy, that it's wrong, that he's got to sort him out, et cetera, et cetera. And he gets released, he get, his door gets opened, he walks up to the guy and he punches him in the face. So he's ashamed because I've been violent with someone, that's not the way that I want to be, et cetera. And I said to him, well, that makes perfect sense because you spent all night stewing in the thoughts of, why, why it was wrong and what you were going to do about it. It makes perfect sense that then you would behave from there. And he, 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 he put his head up and he said, yeah, and the truth is I did have some thoughts about actually I should help him and there's some other ways of doing this, but I ignored them. And mm-hmm. I guess what I must have been doing is ignoring my wisdom and, and allowing myself to stew in my thoughts longer. So they see it, right? They see it like in action. So because we're not going in going, this is how it works, we're actually going in using their own examples to demonstrate how thought creates our reality and how we can potentially have a different experience of reality. They see it. And when you see it for yourself, it's much more powerful, isn't it? And, and that's how the transformations happen. There's a lot of talk in North America about the uh, correctional system, the penal system, and how it is used to warehouse those who have mental issues. I don't know if it's the same uh, in, uh, in the UK, but, but uh, I mean, how does someone in your role deal with that? Um, well, unfortunately, I can't change the warehousing aspect, which is absolutely abhorrent. Um, but in the same way that even people who are experiencing severe 
mental difficulties have an essence within them that helps them. And we, we just, we deal with it in the same way. We're, we're kind, we listen, we spend time with people. Um, oftentimes I'll say, you know, you don't have to sit still because I'm usually with them for three hours or used to be pre-COVID. You don't have to sit still. If you need to get up and move around, then get up and move around. If we need, if we need a coffee, then let us know and we'll get a coffee. And so we accommodate for many, many people because we're not forcing people to sit on their hands, if you like, and, you know, keep mm. still. And sometimes people struggle with that. And um, lots, of the, lots of the people that we've worked with who found those things difficult actually felt the freedom of being understood that they needed to move around. And because they're suddenly having a different experience of it, of a person they see as in authority, that opens the door where the light gets in, you know, because then they suddenly go, oh, hang on a minute, I might listen to this. And um, I mean, we had a lad who <laughs> he used to constantly get himself put into the segregation unit um, and he just loved, loved playing up and loved getting into trouble. And that was a, a attention seeking in many ways. Um, and I, I told him to like put his ha hands in front of his face like this and tell me what he could see. And obviously he couldn't see very much. And, and then I told him to, to open his hands and tell me what he could see. And he said, well, I can see everything. And I said, well, that's what you're doing. You're, you're putting yourself in the corner where you can't see very much. And then all you have to do is turn around and see what you could see. Anyway, when he next came back to group, he he tattooed a little triangle on the corner of his hand. And when he bangs on the door to get attention from the officers, he could see this little triangle and that would calm him down. And then he'd go, okay, what else can I see? Is there another, is there another thing I can do right now? So no, no, matter, yeah, no matter what the condition, people have the resources within themselves to deal with all sorts of situations. And I, and I guess to that point, Jacqueline, we, each week we ask this question and uh, from your standpoint, um, why do you believe in people? <laughs> I am blown away. I've worked with over nearly a thousand people, I think now. I stopped counting at some point. And I am blown away by the resilience and the creativity that I see in people. When I first came into this work, I couldn't believe how amazingly creative people in prison are when they want to get something or when they want to do something. And they'd come up with all sorts of wonderful, weird, wacky ways of, of achieving stuff. And to me, that just looked like the, the, the essence being creative and trying to help them. I have never met a person ever that didn't have wisdom underneath everything and that couldn't be reached. I've worked with people who have schizophrenia and addictions and 
you know, repetitive offending behavior and, and anxiety and stress and everything, the whole gamut. And I've never met a person that couldn't find peace and resilience and a different way of being in, in life. So until I meet that person, I'll keep believing in people. Oh, thank you so much for sharing uh, all of this with us. Um, you've, you've just restored my faith in people. So there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jacqueline. We really appreciate your time. And good thank luck you with very, very ongoing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Kevin, I have to say I'm really inspired and mostly because there is some, the work that Jacqueline is doing within the prison system is very hopeful because people that leave the prison system will also find hope and believe more powerfully in themselves and and hence be better, happier citizens. So I'm really inspired by that. Well, and I'm inspired just by her energy and her her, her openness and her willingness, not only to share her own personal stories, which are difficult, but then to to uh, give a hand to others that uh, other men and women who perhaps society has, uh, you know, decided that they don't want to deal with anymore. And uh, and I find all of that inspiring. And um, if you do too. And please subscribe to this little podcast, Leave in People, and you'll be able to meet more people like Jacqueline next week. Thanks for joining us.